0: Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Rolling for Change. Sorry it's been so long between episodes, but we have a very exciting episode for you this time around. I have been wanting to, for some time, get in touch with people who run game conventions, and this time around we have our good friend Ward Batty, who runs at least three of the game conventions and uh, a very long-running game meetup here in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, Those three conventions are GameFest and GameRama, two GameFests and one GameRama. Anyway. Uh, Ward offers his insight and points of view on his experience as a con runner, con hoster, whatever you call those guys. He's a conventioneer. He's, he's a really great fellow, and I think you're going to really enjoy this discussion. So without further ado, here is Rolling for Change, and a conversation with Ward Batty. Welcome to Rolling for Change. My name is Woody Harris. I am joined by my co-host, Brian Peace. Hello. And we are also joined by my good friend, Ward Batty, who has been instrumental in uh, taking care of our gaming community here in Atlanta.
1: Hello. Thanks for having me. Uh,
0: thanks so much for, for joining us, Ward. It's uh, It's been exciting to get to know you for the last... Uh, when did I start going to GameFests? Maybe... 2012 I think so maybe you could just give us a little introduction to who Ward Batty is, you've got a huge geek history and uh, maybe people would like to know a little bit about you before I start grilling you for information
1: my uh, I used to co-own Dr. Knows up in Marietta with Cliff Biggers he still has the, the store up there, I sold out my interest in 1999 but he and I and another guy bought Doctor Nose from the guy who owned it, a fellow named Artie Decker. I always liked that name. That was a good name. That is a great name. And that it is. Uh, and that was back in '82, I believe. And so uh, I was like 18 when we bought the store. Wow! Um, my dad took out a second mortgage on the house, and I had to stay at home until I was in my early 20s so that all the money that came in could go towards paying off uh, my share of the store. But but I was able to finally get a place on my own in my early 20s. But. And so for so listeners, Dr.
0: Knows Nose is um, a comic shop. It was primarily a comic shop at the time, right?
1: Yes, Dr. Nose was primarily... Uh, well, when we bought it, he. Uh, it was mostly a used bookstore. It also carried used records. Um, we expanded the comic section. And Artie also did anything he could buy cheap and sell for more money he carried so when we bought the store he had used blue jeans he had a small <laughs> section of used motor oil basically anything he found cheap on his travels and would bring back and and he could turn over for a profit but we did uh, we were mostly books and comics and records and over time the used books and the records sort of petered out
2: yeah okay. we, have rest and we of became
1: gold. comics and games
2: yeah, when I started going to Doctor Nose in the eighties, whenever I was about thirteen or fourteen, it was ha- it was a small store. Half of it was used books. The other half was comics, and there was a small nook that they just started getting some games in. Yeah, uh, and that's how I got my main introduction to gaming was walking in there and seeing, you know, there's Dungeons and Dragons and all that stuff that I kind of knew through reputation. Mm-hmm. I'd never played any of them before, and then I saw this box set of Marvel superheroes advanced set role playing game and I thought oh my god I could create my own superheroes and play a game and make stories I went screaming to my mother who went and immediately bought it for me and I was hooked on both that and Dr. Knows and comics ever since excellent. Yeah, it's been
1: around since 78. Uh, I always thought he should uh, paint one of those like a uh, little established in 1978 things over the door because <laughs> I believe that is older than most of the clientele who come in the store. So.
0: Oh, definitely.
1: But um, after that, Cliff and I started a weekly newspaper that we sell in bundles to comic book stores called Comic Shop News. And that's been my regular day job since we started that in 1987. And I sold my interest in Dr. Knows in 99, and for some foolish reason decided I missed retailing and wanted to get back into it. So in 2002, I opened Batty's Best Comics and Games over here on my side of town, which is uh, 285, Shambi Tucker, that area. Mm-hmm. And it was open from 2002 to 2005. And we started doing board gaming at the store when I had it.
0: Okay. And then once Baddie's was closed?
1: we I had started doing um, the gaming events while I had the store open. I think the thir- first three or four were called Baddie's Best Game Fest. And then after the store closed, I continued the meetup group and I continued to do the board gaming events. So I would have uh, something to show for all that money I lost doing the store. So <laughs>
0: And so when what's the origins then of of Gamefest and Gamerama?
1: I um, well really I it, I think it started with the store when I first got involved in the local board gaming community they used to play games up at the war room and I remember when I would go to play I would always need to wander in there first they would I would get there like around dinner time and so I'd make it a point to wander in there first and see if there were going to be any any open games or not and then I would figure out whether I wanted to get dinner or not and I would always make it a point to bring something to read because a lot of times she would come and everybody had already started a long game and so from my experience at um Uh, gaming up there, there were a number of things that when I started gaming at the store, I was not interested in doing. And by sort of establishing a culture right away early on of you're there to play with other people. When you're done, stand up, look around, see if there's anybody else looking for a game make sure everybody's involved try to be nice try to start off with a short game so that people aren't having to wait all night that sort of thing and so in a weird way i think the gaming events actually began with the sunday groups that we had at the store that would come and play because i think we were able to to sort of start the culture of uh of what we wanted in terms of the experience for people who came from there
0: okay and but go ahead
1: Uh, I was going to invitationals uh, like uh, golf games and I wanted to do something like that but just open it up to everybody. There was an assumption with the invitationals that you have to pick and choose among the people and get just the right group of people otherwise you couldn't trust people's games around them or somebody would act like a big jerk and ruin everything for everybody and so they this had been established as sort of a way uh, to do these sort of events. And I believed uh, that both because I have faith in people and also I like money, that I could just do this for everybody. And and especially because we started with sort of the small group from the store. And the event started very small. It started at the Courtyard by Marriott, where we just had the little gaming, the the little meeting space they have. Plus, we could use the breakfast area after uh, they were done serving breakfast on Saturday morning and Sunday morning. So we started with sort of a small group, and then it's sort of organically grown from there. And I think that's been also very helpful in perpetuating a certain sort of culture of niceness that makes it easy to run and fun to attend, I hope.
0: Well, yeah, definitely on my end. Uh, So you started out at the courtyard at Marriott. That's the the first place I think I went to for uh, Game Fest was at the courtyard
1: probably not we weren't there very long and I started them in 2003 there's actually a list of all of them at the Game Fest website so it lists the when they were and the dates and which hotel but we were at the I couldn't even name them all because it's been like 14 or 15 but after the courtyard from Marriott we moved across the street to Comfort Inn something like that and that was a bigger room that we could use, except they had a church that met there every Sunday morning. And so we could leave the room set up. They would set the room up, and they would have their church in the middle of all of our games on Sunday morning. <laughs> but we couldn't get in the room until 1 p.m. Uh, after church let out. And so that was the, the second hotel we were at. And we've sort of slowly clawed our way up into uh, bigger and nicer digs over the years.
2: I think I like you're the, thinking about the uh, the Marriott near perimeter where yeah probably it's at now. Uh, the
0: one over off of um, the one that I remember going to was over off of it's right there in Marietta actually I can't remember the name of it
1: oh that was the DoubleTree off okay. of Windy Hill all
0: right yeah, yeah that's yeah, right okay. so I, I like the idea of of a preacher coming in and, and asking people to turn to page five of Catan and. <laughs> <laughs> So th- this thing's been running for a little while then. Uh, you said 14 or 15 years, is that right?
1: Um, yeah, I guess so.
0: And what's your max attendance at this point? Because you've really kind of pulled the community together.
1: Oh, well, that's nice of you to say. Um, I think around 3 or 350, it's because I take walk-ins and a bunch of people, you know, I bring blanks so people can make their own badges and stuff. I'm never quite sure. Okay. Exactly how many we have, but I would say 300 to 350 is, is sort of uh, uh, a big attendance for us these days.
0: And then that's for GameFest. gameorama is smaller, bigger?
1: About the same. Maybe slightly bigger. If when I was able to sell the one-day memberships for gameorama we had a bigger head count for sure.
0: Okay. And for those who are listening, GameFest and gameorama as we said in our last episode, are both local conventions. They are run by Ward. And uh, these happen... Game fests happen about two times a year with the potential for something else in the future. And Gamerama happens, as far as I know, one time a year. And Gamerama is, as far as I can tell, that's more dedicated... That's like games as a a larger genre than just tabletop games.
1: I wanted... Atlanta doesn't have um, a big gaming convention where all kinds of different games can get played... Dragon Con has probably the biggest gaming convention in Atlanta attached to it. But if you're coming and, and I, I like Dragon Con, I've been to Dragon Con, I've lived here in Atlanta my whole life. So I've been going to Dragon Con since it was the uh, f- Comics and Fantasy Fair back in the 70s. But it uh, it's it's a lot, but if you just want to play games, if, if you want to go to the panels and everything else and, and take in the whole Dragon Con scene, I think it's a great thing to do. But uh, if you're just going for the games, then it can be a lot to have to go through with the parking and, and the costs and everything. And I just felt like Atlanta, we had a big enough gaming community that it would support a overall gaming event. But it's still more oriented towards board games because that's the angle I'm coming at it. It's basically Game Fest with some extra stuff added onto it. Okay, well, we do tournaments, and I really, the, the thing I want to do with Gamerama is I'm trying to sort of channel and unleash the collective energy of all the different gamers in the area, and my two things are what do you want to see and what do you want to do, and and try to figure out events that people would be interested in participating in, or just allowing people to do stuff that they would like to do.
0: Okay. Are are you meeting your vision? Like is this what you saw when you started creating these conventions? Is what we do at those conventions what you saw in your mind, like when you're trying to piece together what this was gonna look like?
1: I would say so for the most part. I mean really my my goal early on was you need at least eighty, I feel, for something like this. If you get fewer than eighty then the games when they break up a lot of times there's not a different group of people starting up another game. At the same time, that's part of why I quit doing the events in Chattanooga as the attendance just got low enough that I felt like there wasn't really enough people to circulate. It wasn't making for the for the best sort of event. But really, I've never had any giant plans. Uh, if Gamerama gets bigger, that would be fine. But really, especially for the last i don't know five six years it's it's big enough so far we've managed to get hotels to be willing to have us it's i get a great group of people they're all real nice to each other and and the event itself is is very easy to run and and so at this point my main goal is to not screw it up
2: <laughs> well you've definitely succeeded at that well thanks at not screwing it up yeah At not screwing it up but
1: time will tell uh, every every new event is a new opportunity to screw it up so uh <laughs>
0: Well, sure. And, and, you know, assuming we have any audience listening to us, they might want to come to the convention. And that would add to, you know, that would add to some possibility for for Game Fest. We could get a bigger community. Right now, it's mostly just the Atlanta community.
1: I would say 80, 20, maybe 70, 30. Okay. Uh, uh, Most people do come from in the state, but we do get some number of people who come from out of town. and, And we do fill a fair number of hotel rooms, which is why... Uh, uh, the hotels are willing to have us. So that's a big part of it.
0: For my part, I can say, you know, when I did come in 2012, it was my first real convention. It was my first real game convention at all. You know, I I had been to some of the gatherings for Well Played and Secrets Factory here in Atlanta. And the thing I remember about it was everyone was very welcoming. It was not, there was no sense of clicks. There was no sense of people trying to keep you away from games or anything like that it was just this big openness and it it felt like a homecoming
1: thanks yeah i know i feel like people are genuinely there to play with other people as as i like to say you can play with yourself at home so
2: (laughs) (laughs) well from my perspective i've been um going to dragon con since i think it was over at the omni and before that i think i think dragon con ended up absorbing the atlanta fantasy fair and dixie trek and dixie trek so I went to fantasy fair before I went to dragon con and I really started dipping my toe heavily into role-playing games Mm -hmm. and a little bit into, into board and card games at, at dragon con. And of course it's become eclipsed by the spectacle of celebrity and, you know, television and movies and all that. So it's kind of evolved beyond that. I've been going to gen con and origins for the last 10 or so years Um, Off and on whenever I can, you know, whenever I can get out there. Right. And those are all about spectacle and playing games, but it's all about the spectacle. What's the newest hot, new hotness? What is the new game that this person is, that this company is releasing and such. And my wife goes with me to the conventions and while she says, like, like me, though, we love the spectacle and we love the new hotness and seeing what, what new games are going to be coming out. There's just something about going and playing with 350 friends, yeah, who are local to you, who you typically see, you know, over the course of the week. We'll see over the course of the month. We'll see a few few of these people off and on, um, like David, Skoog, you and me. Um, we'll we'll see each other occasionally. But there are some people we only, even in the state, we only see. Every so often. Yeah. And it's good to go to a hotel, play some games. And whenever you're tired, you go to sleep. You get up the next morning, you roll out of bed. Huh? What game am I going to play? Let's go downstairs and find out. That is my favorite thing about the con. You just, you're there. It's uh,
1: yeah. <laughs> yes. It's fun to be immersed in that world for a few days and not have to worry about other stuff and, and it's hard to explain to people, uh, uh, they're like, oh, well, I enjoy doing this, but I'm not going to want to do this for four days in a row, and uh, hopefully I've been able to convince enough people otherwise that we can make the thing work. So,
0: Yeah, I don't. I, I, I understand that there are people that say that. I, I've talked to a few people that say that because I try to get them to come to play, and I'm like, it's just not, there's no explanation for how good it feels to just spend four days, five days gaming and just learning about new games, because when when the thing is in full thrive there's probably at least a thousand games on on the shelves in front of us yeah yeah so and the new hotness is there but also the old hotness is there too and sometimes the mediocre is there but most of the time it's not
2: the mediocre is what people are trying to sell at the, uh, <laughs> at, the at, at the flea market sometimes along with the new hotness and the good stuff but they're yeah. trying to sell some of the uh old and busted too
1: <laughs> yeah, I like the fact that we don't have a permanent library. In fact, especially for Gamerama, I only bring one or two IKEA bags full of games because my car is full with the shelves and all the other stuff that that the prizes and all the other stuff that I'm I'm bringing for the event. But I like the notion that it it exists. The game library it only exists for that period of time that we do the event. It is a collective. of the games that everybody is the most interested in playing at this particular moment uh these and and it'll never be exactly this or or probably even close to the same collection again it'll 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 always be different every event and i don't have to store it in between events that's very important too so
0: yeah i I like that because and and, uh, something you said earlier that i really wanted to catch back up to was this idea that you know People are basically good. If you put people together in a group that we're, we're going to all do this kind of cooperative thing, then we can all be trusted to be good people and, and do the right thing. Treat other games with respect. There's only been a very few occasions that that has not been true for my experience. And it's, it's so little that it's not something where I would not bring my games uh, for other people to play. Yeah,
1: I feel very fortunate that people are, are willing to bring their games. If anything, to be honest, we probably get more games than we need. Finding space to put all the stuff out that everybody wants to bring is often more of an issue than finding space for the people who want to play games. But uh, it's great that everyone's so generous. And I I tell people, if you don't feel comfortable leaving it out or if you want to put it underneath at night or or whatever you want to do with it, uh, I get far more games that are left that nobody ever claims Than I do people who get in touch with me and the game has disappeared and and they can't find it. And that's not to say that games never disappear. Uh, Either people don't notice or or they don't get in touch. But the one or two times that it's come, to be honest, I just bought them. uh, I found a copy of the game on BoardGameGeek and just bought them a copy because I'd rather do that as rarely as it happens and not have to have a library system. Because that would be a drag. And I love getting to meander in front of them and, and just see what strikes your fancy and see what everybody wants to play.
0: Yeah. And I think we have such a community at our gatherings that there's like, we all police ourselves also, you know, if there's new people coming in, hopefully we're really kind to them. We invite them in, but also at the same time, we probably police that a little bit, you know, to make sure that people are treating people's games with respect.
2: Well, not only that, at the end of, at the last day of every convention, there are a batch of us who just stay until the bitter end and we walk and look underneath all the tables as they're taking them down to make sure there are no bits left. And we post and make sure everybody gets their game components back if we can.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, I really uh, appreciate that because I'm usually home in bed by then. So. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I, for instance, a friend of mine left a tube behind, unfortunately. She was wise enough to put her name, phone number, and address on it. But I got in touch with her on Facebook, took a picture of it, and I said, you know, are you missing something? She goes, oh my God, I was wondering where I left that. She left it right next, she left it on the floor near my games, and I happened to see it, picked it up, and it is currently in my car. I'm holding it hostage. She'll, she'll get it back whenever she... You know, pays up the ransom.
1: <laughs> <laughs> people bring me phones. People bring me purses. People yep. bring me computers. It's 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 almost a curse that people feel so relaxed when they're in there that they sort of are not quite so as relaxed. Uh, they don't
0: they don't take care of their, they don't they get their own stuff.
1: Well, a little bit, but that's all right. Yeah. So far, that that I know of, nothing too valuable's gone missing from anybody. So I feel like you have
0: been. In the game community, well, obviously, for much longer than I have, I can say that I did start at the War Room. Actually, I started with Dagger, but that's a long time ago. Um, uh, so, for those who are listening, D- Dagger was the Dragon Alliance of gaming and role playing, and that was here in Atlanta way back when I was a teenager. Uh, but I, I didn't really discover the world of, of tabletop gaming until I discovered a couple of the groups around Atlanta here that, that are connected to Game Fest. Um, But the the thing I want to kind of know from you is since you've had the the opportunity to see the changes in our community um, over the years, and uh, ultimately you've seen the growth of the game industry over the course of the last 10 years, because it's been continually growing since I got into it, um, what are some things that you've seen that, I don't know, so bringing it back to the the theme of Rolling for Change, we look at how games transform people, how they transform communities, how they do really positive things in people's lives. So I guess what I'm looking for is, looking at across the swath of time that you've seen in gaming, what are some things that you've seen that maybe bring that into view, that transformational side of things?
1: I've been, before I was involved in board gaming, I was involved in comics. Um... And I was also involved in science fiction fandom, strangely enough, not really because I read very much science fiction, but I ended up just making a bunch of friends who went to science fiction cons and I got involved in uh, APAs, which are Amateur Press Alliance. Uh, You would print up 30 copies of Uh, your appazine and you would send it all to one guy who was known as the central mailer and he would collate all of those together and so you would get in return one copy each of all the different appazines that people had created and basically it was the internet for 30 people before there was an internet it's a wonderful training ground for social media because i unlike you guys well unlike everybody on the internet i made all my horrible awful faux pas on 30 copies of ditto which may or may not exist anymore and can't be archived or well they could be but nobody bothers but i got involved in in all of these different van- fandoms and i have always been someone who, if you put me with a random group of people, I am not the social gadfly that is before you now. I tend to be more uh, uh, circumspect. I have always found the most success socially. I find my people. I find people with whom I have something in common, be it comic books or, or, or science fiction conventions or the APAs or board gaming or whatever. And then once I find my people, I find it a lot easier to make friends, socialize, uh, sort of find – get myself ingratiated into that group. And I'm a big believer in fandoms as being a very kind of open and forgiving place where – where we agree that we both love board games. We don't agree that you're a charming wit or that I have sparkling personality or anything else, but we have this thing and we come together over this thing and we focus on that. And then over time, we find the other things about each other that that is appealing and that we like. But it's nice because I think it's just a big sort of social safety net for people in that you're going to come into this situation and you might be dealing with people that you don't know, but we're all going to do this thing that's really familiar to all of us and that we all really enjoy and that's sort of a safe, comfortable thing that you've done a lot of times in different situations before. And so it's not going to be so challenging to, to get through it and... I mean, we all know people who you've seen over the years who've been coming to Game Fest who perhaps were sort of rough sledding when they first came in and maybe you avoided playing with them or or stuff like that. And you can see over time and, you know, maybe them getting their meds straightened out or whatever, but they really start to seem to fit in with people better. And, and you can really see them become like more confident and really grow as people.
0: Yeah. So the game is the thing. It's it's the, the intersection point that we come to. And And through the rules of the game, basically, we discover one another. But the game starts it, basically. Plus, I love it as an
1: artificial construct. You get to see how people react to different situations. Plus, I just love, the thing that I love most about board gaming is in one other area of your life, can you make five horrible decisions in a row, and after you're done, the only thing that matters is you pack up the box and you'll play another game. (laughs) I love trying things that probably won't work just for the fun of seeing what will happen because games give you the freedom to, to do that because in the end it doesn't matter.
2: Yeah. One of the things I I really like about board gaming is you know, I, I have friends who have come to gaming with the express purpose of winning the game and then they start kind of transforming into understanding that the game is not a thing that you win or lose it's a construct around which you can be social and there are a lot of a lot of people a lot of my friends who i know who are not that comfortable playing what my wife calls the social game where you just sit and chat with people just to be chatting with them so putting something in between them That can absorb their attention and give them a reason for sitting down with three or four other people and having a conversation because they're all playing the same game. Not because I'm sitting here having a conversation with you, which puts a lot of pressure on you to be entertaining, to be witty, to be, you know, social
1: Mm -hmm. when
2: social is not your thing. You put this game in front of you and whenever you have nothing to say, there's not an uncomfortable silence. You're trying to figure out your next turn. No one has to talk because you're looking at the game and then somebody comes up with something good to say and you can chime in on it and you don't feel that pressure to constantly have something to talk about.
0: Yeah, it it provides a really good atmosphere for people to slowly dip their toe into the social water. If 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 you can get games, then you can get the social thing afterwards.
1: And different people come to it for, for different reasons. And in the end, I just want to sit down with you and have a good experience playing the game. And if you're all about winning it and, and, and you're very intent on that, as long as you're sociable enough and, and, and don't, you know, act, act wrong, uh, I'm I'm happy to sit there and, and play the game with you. Uh, I like you better if you laugh at my jokes, but it's it's not required. <laughs> well,
0: and I've seen you provide some really good boundaries for... Others who may not always uh, may not always have those limits to themselves when they come to the game table, and I've always appreciated that.
1: Right, I feel that I can get away with a, a, a little bit of that. Plus, I, my my only interest, I, I genuinely is, is is just everybody having a good time, and 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 I want people to fit in. A lot of times, people don't realize the thing that they're doing that in the end will make people not want to play with them and they shouldn't just have to wonder when i can really tell them so uh but yes i'm I, and, and i'm very direct with people which is, is is blessing and a curse but can be helpful at times <laughs> and i do a lot of because of the the meetup group that i've had um which started at the Loop and we ended up over at Jason's Deli on my side of town. We don't get a ton of people anymore, but from that I sort of have um, uh, personas, not the right word, but when I'm I'm teaching a game with people, I want to keep the game moving because Sometimes games have a tendency, especially with new players, to bog down. They get worried about their turn or whatever. Some people are just really slow, and I'm willing to to say at some point, this game's supposed to take 30 to 45 minutes. This game's not supposed to take an hour and a half. We really should play it faster than this, because uh, if it drags and it takes all day, that's not fun for people, and and I want the experience to be good. And I also came from a retail background. I want you to like the game. I don't care about winning. I want you to have a positive experience on the game, so hopefully you'll buy the game. And while I'm not in retail anymore, I still come from that orientation.
0: Yeah, you're still selling games, ultimately. Right.
1: And selling the experience, and to be honest, uh, facilitating people's ability to game is more fun and rewarding than trying to sell people games. So,
2: Yes. One of the things I've noticed, I'm not sure if this is the first year that you've done this, but um, one of the things you've done to kind of facilitate that I noticed, I've seen this starting to pop up at a lot of conventions is the um, players wanted mm-hmm. teacher wanted signs that people can get a box, go sit down with a game they want to play and put a sign up and people will just see the sign and walk over and become a player or go and help teach the game to them. And that's been a, that's been a huge for a lot of people who were kind of newer especially newer to the family who just don't have, they have maybe two or three people they know there Mm -hmm. and they don't know a lot of games. So they don't, they don't feel comfortable walking up to someone saying, do you know how to play this game? Could you teach it to us? They can put up a sign and we can approach them and teach the game
1: yeah I agree that's a that's a good idea people had suggested it to me and uh, I never did it and so finally somebody took it upon themselves to do it and it turns out that it was something that got a lot of use from people and I'm really glad that they took the initiative to uh, put that together and and I'm making it a point to, to keep them in between the different events and stuff because uh, it's definitely and and right it's it, People, I get suggestions from people all the time, in, in terms of ideas to do stuff and stuff like that, because I, it, it, they don't have to be my ideas. I just want to do the things that people want to do. Yep. So, Ward has, have you? So, we kind of talked about how you looked at,
0: at gaming across time. Is there, has there ever been a game that you thought was particularly good at? Uh, I'm using the word transformational experience, but it can mean anything. It can mean you know made a change in your life, um, caused you to think about things in a much different way. Is there any kind of linchpin in your life where gaming made a difference for you besides just the the social aspect and you're putting together the convention?
1: Hmm. Um, not, Not really specifically that I can think of. I mean, there are games that have meant a lot to me as, as games, but mm. stuff that really, uh, uh, I've been able to probably not. I'm, I'm sorry to give you such a bad answer, but no,
0: that that's fine. Uh, you know, it, it's kind of the purview of, of rolling for changes. I want to understand people's experience of gaming, particularly in the way that they make changes in their lives based on games. Um, but maybe some people don't have that experience and that's, just as what that's just as important to the question as those who do so not a not a problem at all
1: as a collective experience it's, it's it's been a huge thing in my life but i mean there are games that i love and there are games that i've played a ton but not i i can't think of any way that i don't have situations where i'm going oh you know i learned this from settlers of catan or whatever
0: Right, I'm going to change the way I manage my money
2: as a result of Power Grid. Yeah, but like like we were saying, um, you try to facilitate those changes in other people, which is yeah. a, kind kind of a thing in itself. Like if you see someone reacting in a certain way, you'll step in and try to help them foster that change in themselves so that they can enjoy the experience more and others can enjoy the experience with them as opposed to being repulsed by them.
1: Yes, and, and mainly... You- the, the, the horror stories that you hear from gamers I've, I've had very few instances of I, I hear later about a couple of things where it would have been like oh well you should have come and said something to me uh, at the time but but really for the most part people really do behave well and especially considering how many people we have and how many interactions that go as a percentage it's it's not even one percent in terms of negative things that people encounter, at least that I hear about.
0: Yeah, so ultimately you end up shepherding people into uh, a good gaming experience.
1: Yeah. I mean, once um, at this point, I sort of view it as uh, you have a recipe and you need to fold in some more flour. If you fold in the flour a little bit at a time, you can fold all the flour and then log it absorbed. If you dump a big chunk of it in, then it, then it might not uh, uh, mix as well. And so, like, I don't, like, the Game Fest, I really, I don't advertise it at all. Uh, it's it's strictly word of mouth. And people have, like, a guy came to me one time and said, oh, uh, why don't you give me a bunch of flyers and, and, and I'll hand out the flyers at work. And I said, I'll tell you what, why don't you invite people who you like at work to come to Game Fest? And so, it's not an invitational, but a lot of the people who come are coming because some friend of theirs told them how great it was, and so I don't have to do a, a lot a lot of this kind of stuff because they're going to get folded in like that little bit of flour where you've already got most of the recipe working.
0: Yeah. So instead of advertising, just uh, bring people along that you trust,
1: or or just friends of friends. I just it's like I said, it's a it's a collective enterprise, and if you believe somebody would uh, uh, be a good addition to to the group and would have a good time and they want to come, then I'm happy to have them come. I hear from a lot of area gamers who are like, you're just bringing your own games and sitting there and playing them, and I don't see why that's worth money. And if you don't see value in it, then that is also fine, because we get, yeah, fortunately, don't, don't. <laughs> uh, right, I mean, I don't want to use those words, but uh, being a capitalist, but but right, if there, <laughs> there's plenty of people who do find value in it, and I don't need to have people who are there begrudgingly I'm I'm happy to get people who are enthusiastic about coming and and I'm really not I mean I guess on some level I get a little jealous when I hear about other events that double in attendance every year and now they're getting to 600 and now they're getting 2000 and stuff like that but on the other hand it would it would change the event completely it would really take on a lot more aspects of being more of a full-time job which it would pay more money so I guess that would be okay but but I'm I'm really happy with with it the way it is. I'm 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 especially the game fests. I'm not if as long as we can get enough people so that it works the way it does. I mean we can add a few hundred and we could even lose a hundred or so when it would still work fine. So I'm I'm really happy with how it's going.
0: Yeah, not to poo-poo any other cons because I I certainly love Dice Tower Con and as you said Gen Con's a great spectacle. Um, I think my favorite con is, right now is is probably Game Fest.
1: Oh well, thanks. Yeah. It's it's its own thing. I mean, it's there's 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 nothing else like it that just anybody can go to. I don't that I know of.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm in the same boat. I loved my time at Dice Tower Con. I've never been to a Gen Con on Origins. I didn't enjoy. But there's something about going to a convention where you know that, well, for me, where you know you're going to know lots of people, but you're also going to meet lots of new people. Yeah. Um, and you, you get that nice benefit of both of them. Like, um, whenever we went to Dice Tower Con, you know, it was, I knew some of the people who were going to be there, but for the most part, it was meeting brand new people, which is fun, but after a while, you're like, I, I want some familiarity. Mm-hmm. And then... But here you get plenty of familiarity, but you also get new people coming in all the time and you get to make new, make new friends and teach people new games. And you get to be that, that guy, everybody knows.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: And get to meet new people. So Yes, it's It's a fun progression
1: from your first one where all the games seem strange and all the people seem strange. And then by three or four in, it's like, oh, I know a lot of these games and many of these people. And and it's a a fun transition to how it just sort of becomes normal and and everybody is is sort of at ease in, in a real nice way.
2: Yeah, like the song says, sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. <laughs> <laughs> so game Fest is the cheers of the game conventions.
1: I, went. I like it one time with my wife to uh, golf games and I, we, we had just showed up and golf games is not very big so there was maybe 60, 70 people in the room when we walked in but as, as we walked in um, a bunch of people in the room turned and looked up and all at the same time they all went Ward. and later my <laughs> wife said to me that is my nightmare the idea of walking into a room and having everyone stop what they're doing and look at me and put their attention on me and then say my name it would be like a nightmare for me and whereas it's just how I like to walk into a room. so
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you had said that there were some games that you played across, that, that, that you really found appealing, that were really meaningful to you. What were those games?
1: Uh, my favorite games are uh, Carcassonne, which I just love. I've, I've, I've played it a ton. It plays great from two to five. It plays different depending on how many players you have. Uh, um, I, I like the limited, the amount of luck versus skill that, that you get in, in, in a tile-laying game, so that's a real favorite of mine. Power Grid, I uh, love. I've played, I think, every single different board. And uh, that's just, its I like games that are their own thing. I, I, I'm happy to play something that is an interesting reiteration of something I've played before or, or a, a mechanic that's really elegantly done. But when you get something that that is just not like anything else, uh, that's that's always uh, very appealing. And and power grid because it's 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 like an accordion. Uh, you know the players all get bunched up and then they all get spread out and it's really about where you want to be and in that pecking order when stuff comes up and and there's always one power plant that's the game. Uh, uh, if 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 you get it. You, you either have to buy it or you have to make it so expensive that the other guy has killed himself getting it because it's, it's – it, yeah, it's just uh, – I really love that. Princess of Florence is another game that's another one of my tens that uh, that I really like a lot and don't get to play much. Oh, how did you like Princess of Florence? I taught that to you at Gameorama.
0: I think I remember liking it, but I don't remember it You right have now.
1: artists in a piazza and you're creating great works of art that you roll out they want particular kind of like landscapes and stuff oh like yeah that. i
0: did like that one i did like that one because it, it combined a lot of things uh it combined it had an auction mechanic and it had um an area control mechanic i, I really liked that one
1: i used to think first... the right one huh yeah that's it okay good good so the first board gaming convention that I ever went to was a Diplomacy convention up in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Golly, in the '80s, I'm guessing.
2: Are you still friends with all those people?
1: But no, because you're not. <laughs> I wasn't friends with those people to begin with. They all came together to play Diplomacy. <laughs> I had uh, a couple of people that I rode up in the car that we went with. But you would go up, you would play one game Friday night two games usually on saturday and then one game sunday before you had to get out of there and uh boy that is the opposite of uh game fest that is uh that is an intense intense uh weekend Mm
2: -hmm.
0: i would bet i have not played diplomacy but i I understand that that's uh that's a lot of challenge for your social skills
1: yes no you have to be playing with people who want to play it um you it, 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 it lends itself to, 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 to wonderful. Uh, uh quips i have my friend george who unfortunately is no longer with us but i would play diplomacy with george and george was a grateful dead fan he got me into the dead a hippie the most lovey dovey guy that you ever would meet except when you play diplomacy and i remember one time i was england and he was france and in the very first turn he came into the english channel and you you make your moves and then you have a chance to talk to each other in between and i'm like george George, what, what, what are you doing in the English channel? You know, it has the word English right on it. And, and George said, Well, we didn't have anything to talk about before, and now we do.
2: <laughs> I have played diplomacy two times for a grand total of 45 minutes. Ah. The first time I was Germany, I lasted 15 minutes. Yeah. And the second time I was Austria Hungary, I lasted 30.
1: Germany's tough, and Austria-Hungary is, yeah. is 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 also difficult. But uh, uh, <laughs> Ger- Germany is tough. You that that's the most difficult to play early. If you can get through the early game, it, it, it's it's. If if you survive through the first third of the game, you have a very good chance to win the game. But uh, I used to we used to play telephone diplomacy, which was an interesting way to do it. So you would call people on the phone, and you would talk to them on the phone, and then we would. Oh, we had somebody you had to give all your moves to, a neutral party, and you had a deadline, and the moves were due once a week, and then they would write all the moves down, and then they'd be revealed to everybody. So all of your diplomacy was on the phone. And I played with my friend Hank Reinhardt, and my friend Hank Reinhardt, he had the most beautiful opening salvo. He would always call you up, and uh, uh, he would go, Ward, how would you like to come in second?
2: (laughs) 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 That's fantastic.
1: (laughs) He was Germany one time, and he had just killed us in another game, and we're starting this other game. And I got on the phone, and I really thought I had it worked out. I had my wouldn't you kill Hitler as a baby speech all worked out, and I went to everybody with it, but I could not convince them. And and they did not kill Hitler as a baby, and so Hank won the game. But but he was impressed with my, my, my tactics, so.
0: So I know you said that you like things that are their own thing, and it, it's it's harder I think now to make a game that has a new mechanic or a new thing. Have you seen anything recently that that made you sit up and take notice and say, "That's new. I haven't
1: seen that before." Hmm. Um. I'm sure I have, but it is not occurring to me immediately. Sure. If I was looking at them, I could tell you, but pulling them up out of my head, it, it... go go on to another question, and if something comes to me, we'll... Uh...
2: The closest thing I've seen so far was at the last Game Fest. And what was that? F- that was um, Clank. We talked about it last episode. Well, not not terribly new, though. Well, I mean, in the sense... It, I've seen a lot of... Um, it's, it's like peanut butter and jelly. yeah. I've seen a lot of deck building games. Yeah. And I've, and every deck building game is about building your deck to build an engine and that's it. And I've seen board games where you're exploring a dungeon Mm -hmm. with a spatial aspect, but I have never seen so far a deck building game that had a spatial aspect to it.
0: Well, don't
2: miss um, trains. Trains kind of, but this one is this one I this one know. definitely
0: has more life to it, I think.
2: yeah, it's definitely more thematic because you are literally using your cards to allow you access to deeper parts of a dungeon and yeah. you're using them to gather abilities and and you have a physical character running around the board using the deck that you're building, so it's it's not a new thing, although deck building is relatively new. Um, still, well, it certainly caught my attention
0: uh the the newest i don't know thinking about new mechanics that's really hard i looking at my shelf right now, I think the newest like new mechanic I've seen was maybe five tribes, but that's still like that's almost a rondelle kind of thing that that we've seen in a lot of games
1: yeah. I thought that Orleans was a very novel approach to deck building. I really like yes. the idea of instead of having a deck of cards that you're cycling through, throwing everything into a bag and pulling stuff out of it. Uh, I I could see that as a mechanic that other people could utilize in some interesting ways.
0: Yeah, I can see that too. The Orleans, Orleans is another one of those that have hit my top 10 in the past couple of years.
1: Yeah, it might be a 10 for me. I've, 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 it's definitely a favorite of mine from the last couple of years. I just find... The whole act of pulling the stuff out of the bag and seeing what you have and figuring out what you can do with it to be entertaining. And you need that. I mean, I think we were talking about this at Gamerama where if you break it down to its biggest, broadest strokes, a lot of games you're, you're doing something to get stuff and then you're doing something with the stuff that you get. And uh, in the case of Orleans, the thing that you're doing to get stuff It's like a little tiny mini puzzle that you get to keep doing over and over again, but I find that little mini puzzle entertaining to do, Uh, like in the same way as um, uh, gold, where you're mining stuff, you have gold mines
2: gold west gold west yes thank you it is gold west okay yeah
1: and that thing you know the little macala thing there where you're dropping the things down and then you have to take the whole group Mm -hmm. and redistribute it and what comes off the end is what you get to spend i thought that was uh an interesting uh thing to pick stuff up like macau macau i love the thing you do to get the stuff but the stuff you do with the stuff that you get is not as interesting to me. That's, that's why, like for me, a lot of Steffenfeld games have great aspects to them, but they don't completely hang together completely as a mechanism, a, like, a, like a watch. You know, it's, it's, there are aspects to it that are brilliant, but the whole thing is not always as fine-tuned as it could. Uh, for me, that's why Burgundy is my favorite Steffenfeld game, because I feel like that's the one where all the pieces come together the best.
2: Yeah. Yeah,
0: Feld is the one who has frustrated me so much that I changed my life around Feld. <laughs> <laughs> How so? Uh, but Back to uh, Trajan, my yeah. origin story, because Feld, uh, he made this really complex set of choices, and it was clear to me that there was like maybe 20 or 30 paths to victory in front of me. My little brain shut down. It was just like I couldn't really make sense of you know, I, I've made this, this I've made this comparison before when talking about, you know, you walk into a grocery store and you see like twenty bottles of ketchup and you have to decide which bottle of ketchup to choose. Just that breakdown moment of trying to make the best decision in the midst of a lot of good decisions is what forced kind of a feedback loop for me to say, you know what, my, in my my connection with the game is what's causing my sense of stress about the game. It's the things I believe about the game that make the difference to me. And if that's doing that to me, it's probably doing it to other people. And so the way that Stefan Feld put things together, it may be really frustrating for some people. And it should be really frustrating for me since I'm colorblind and he doesn't seem to care about colorblind people that much. <laughs> uh, but what it does for me is that, that sort of multiple paths to victory kind of way of looking at things forces me to pay attention to myself. And I don't know if that's a byproduct that he expected to come out of his games, but for me, it's definitely something that I see in most of his games, because when I'm proposed with a a multiple-path sort of situation, that's when I have to look back at myself and see what it is that I'm getting upset about.
1: Hmm. You know, a few years ago, I decided that I would play board games intuitively. And uh, that has, I believe, worked out well for me, not possibly for my win-loss percentage, but I don't (laughs) spend a lot of time counting or paying attention or or thinking very deeply. I feel like I am operating on more of a subliminal level that uh, the instinctive decision that I make will possibly work out, and I still win my share. I don't know if it's as many as I could win, but I also am not the most competitive guy in the world, but but I find that that whole attitude of that I would just play intuitively has uh, been sort of relaxing and freed me a little bit.
0: There's a little bit of zen to that. I mean, maybe uh, maybe the way that we play a board game is to get out of our own way. That's not easy to do, but that was what I had to do for any Stefan Feld game. I had to get out of my own way. Before I let you go today, Ward, there's a question that someone sent, and I thought it would be a good thing for... Uh, a group of us to talk about. Uh, there's a gentleman who's been listening to Rolling for Change who has said that he's trying to use games to teach any number of skills. And the question he came up with was that uh, he was looking for games that identify logical fallacies. Ooh. Now, I the only thing I could come up with when I was thinking about it, and maybe I'm not thinking about this right, is a logical fallacy is when two sets of information can't exist at the same time. And the thing I came up with was, um, now I've forgotten the name of the game. It's not concept, it's the uh, dimension. The one with the balls, and, mm-hmm. and you you try to put the balls together so that they match the rules that you're given. And some of those rules can't m- match one another because the one rule cancels out the other rule. So there's a logical fallacy going on there. He suggested um, I, Dark Overlord, which I don't know anything about. But I was wondering if you guys have any ideas for... What would be a game that illustrates the idea of logical fallacy?
1: I mean, maybe. Uh, what's that telephone game?
2: The party game.
1: Yeah, the party game where you write stuff down. Telestrations?
2: And- telestrations.
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's just using it as, 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 as kind of a, a party thing, I guess. I'm not sure because normally you want your game to be logical and make sense and work. So. Usually Unless the game is
0: purposely trying to teach you about logical fallacy, right? Which I I figured maybe well, ask you because you've been
2: in the game world for such a long time. Logical fallacies, all right, English teacher. Okay. Um, logical fallacies are a family of faulty arguments, like the appeal to mo- to emotion, um, the straw man argument. Oh, okay, right. Slope. Those are all. Considered logical fallacies An ad hominem attack where you attack your opponent's Character or personal traits and attempt to undermine Their argument Werewolf, I I, I stand by werewolf Is the perfect exercise in that The first rounds The first time we play the game at any convention It doesn't matter what convention I go to It's like a universal law that's popped up If you're wearing a red shirt You're going first Because the red shirt has to die Ah, It's the Star Trek thing Star Trek attack and that's an ad hominem attack. You're 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 going to can you're going to call him a werewolf cuz he's wearing a red shirt. That doesn't even make sense. But that's it, but an here's ad hominem the problem attack.
0: at the beginning of that at the beginning of that sequence, you have to choose somebody. Right. Um So maybe we shouldn't choose... like oppress the red shirts, but Now
2: now the picking the hairiest person at the table, that makes sense. Yes. Which okay. usually means I'm dead because I have, you know, beard. Yeah. <laughs> um
0: yeah, that's that was the first one that came to mind when you started talking about that because you really have to do a lot of that when you're playing Werewolf.
2: Yeah, it's unfortunately, really uh, you know those
1: great board games about rhetoric are not uh, not a real strong suit. Hi, <laughs> Claudius, <laughs> the speech-making board game. Have not played that one. I'm making it up. Oh. <laughs> So here's a question for you. What's the most inappropriate-themed game? Like, I I found an old game from... It wasn't Mattel, but it was like Parker Brothers, one of those kind of things where you were competing uh, Mayan tribes and you were trying to be the first one to get the virgin up on the altar so you could sacrifice her to the gods. (laughs) And it's like a boring tile game. It's completely not interesting in terms of the execution of it, but... But it had this wild theme where you were like, "Hmm." So you're
0: asking what the most inappropriate? We we had a whole. Oh, uh, did you? I'm
1: sorry. Yeah, I'm just sitting here. No, family. that's no, fine. No, we no,
0: had no, a whole was... podcast on the on oppression in board gaming. I'm trying to think of if there's any, if there's anything that we didn't talk about in that. I mean, the main thing we pointed out was uh, Puerto Rico um, in in that particular podcast. But trying to think of others where it's just like completely inappropriate. Um.
2: That's a harder question, I think. You got anything, Brian? Um, Of course, there's always the great standby cards against humanity. Right, right. yeah, always... Yeah, the
1: success of that has has, uh, uh, sort of amazed me, but uh, I, I don't know. I don't know if that's really board gaming or not, if I should be happy that it's bringing people into the hobby, but people seem to enjoy it. I'm from a generation where we could make up our own swear words. So I don't know. I, I can be disgusting and foul without uh, the help of. Uh, there,
2: there's a game that came out in 1966 oh, called what shall I be the exciting game of career girls? <laughs> um, the the careers they allow are teacher, airline hostess, actress, nurse, model, and ballet dancer. Um, And each career outlines the proper personality for a girl who would get into this career and it's just it's of course the most you know <laughs> yeah it, if 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 you were to try to play this game today uh, people would be horrified
0: <laughs> i actually want to play this game now i want to see if i'm the right kind of girl for a career as an airline stewardess <laughs>
1: Sorry. i think uh, let- <laughs> feld or or one of those designers who do really heavy games you know take on mystery date or one of those old uh things and so suddenly it's now a uh, there's eleven phases per round, and at the end we'll reveal your mystery date.
2: Oh, another like old standby from Board Game Geek that somehow makes it on used to, for a while. There, it made it onto almost every geek list because somebody had to put in there. It's a German game called Busen Memo. What is Bussen Memo? It's a mem- it's basically memory. You're trying to connect. You're trying to flip over two cards and find the two that match. Okay. Except the cards are right breast, left breast. Oh. And you're trying oh, to right. connect two of them together. <laughs> yeah. Yes,
1: I remember the year that There's came out of inappropriate
2: game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was it came out in 2003, so it's actually kind of recent. <laughs> that is kind of recent. Okay.
1: All right.
0: I didn't know about this one before this, but that that one sounds pretty inappropriate also. Yeah.
1: Sorry, I didn't mean to take your conversation into the No, better. no, that's that's fine. Like
2: no. I said,
0: we're all relaxed here. We're
2: just trying to have a good time. Um, so, oh, Ward, an- if- Another Ward. one that came out from uh, White Wolf Games that is now completely gone is uh, Pimp the Backhanding. It was a card game where you you had a, a stable of hookers, a, a a card, several cards in your hand who mm-hmm. were hookers. And you were supposed to get the most money made over the course of the night by playing them I guess you could, the best word is appropriately playing them so that they can gather the most money and you can also backhand other people's to give them black eyes and make them less (laughs) desirable. That's
0: that's terrible. It's,
2: uh, Yeah. I got a free copy of it because I used to do demos for them and I had it just as a, this is the most horrible game there was the sad part is there was an actual game in it and if it had a different had had a different theme
0: well they used that theme for a purpose they wanted to raise that
2: they wanted people to to wake up and pay attention to it
0: yeah so maybe sometimes you make a game that's completely inappropriate just to get people to react to it
2: well at the time they were making a lot of games that were quote-unquote pushing the edge yeah just to see if they could get a rise out of people and it worked.
0: <laughs> don't <laughs> know if that's, that's what we need for our, our culture right now. I don't know. Okay. Well, um, Ward, if, if people wanted to get in touch with you, if they wanted to learn more about Game Fest or anything else, where could they find you?
1: Um, Atlantagamefest.com and also okay. gameorama.com. You have to put hyphens in there. But if you put Gameorama Atlanta or Atlanta Game Fest into google uh the the sites should pop right up uh that's probably the easiest place to reach me i also do a meetup group uh which we've been doing like i said since the store we've done like 350 meetups i, I meant to make a big deal out of it when we hit a round number but we got busy and i forgot about it but that thing has chugged along very well and it's great because it happens whether i go to it or not which is why it's been going for all these years. It's 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 not a huge turnout. We get maybe twenty or so, but it's a nice group and we get new people cycling through, so that's fun. One thing I did want to mention about Game Fest that I do think makes it different from other groups is that we get a lot more women. And I think that helps a lot with the vibe and the sociability and just sort of the general demeanor. Uh, of the events. You know, I did the uh, couples discount and, and I do a family pass, which I don't think anybody else does, to be honest. I picked it up from the invitationals, but I'm not sure if there's another game event that, that even does it that way. And, and I think that's worked out really well because it's a lot of guys would start off kind of getting the couple's membership so they could bring their girlfriend, and, and then they ended up having a good time with it. And uh, I, I think half the people at Game Fest are women, certainly 40%, I would say, and, and I think that's been a really positive thing. Yeah, good. my wife's
2: definitely enjoyed it because whenever she first started getting into gaming after we first met – um took her to a few game meetups and the guys would always be like, Well, here's a game you can play, but you know, your wife might want to play this little cute bean game over here. She's like, No, I, I can handle Dominion. Come on. Right. Right. Um, and she doesn't get that at 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 GameFest or Game She whenever she comes in, well, for one thing, everybody kind of knows her because, you know, the two of us kind of show up in our sickeningly adorable couples' t shirts. And but along with that, we she and I almost never play games together because she's off playing with somebody else. And I'm all playing with somebody else because we see each other every day and everybody kind of treats her as an equal. And she really appreciates that. It's it's one of the nicer things about our community.
1: Good. I'm glad to hear that.
0: Yeah, I mean, we started as a couple, so I it's never really I mean, I I recognize it now that you've said it, but I've never really felt. I've never felt that it was a you know just an all male thing or anything like that. It's always felt like it's just a community of people. So, yeah. Okay. Well, I, Ward, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Um, it's been very enlightening, and hopefully, uh, our listeners, at least a few, will come and join us at Game Fest. We would love to have you there.
1: I hope they do. Like I said, we get a we get a wonderful group, and it's been a great thing. And and. I'm always pleased uh, that everybody's ready to to do it all again when the new one comes up. In fact, really, it's always surprising and delightful how much enthusiasm uh, people have for the events as they roll around. They really, they're, they're just always ready to go. It's always a, a treat.
0: Yep, counting the days. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, thanks so much. Uh, and for you guys who are listening, if you'd like to contact us, you can contact us at uh, our email address is gamers at rollingforchange change.com and our Twitter handles at roll for change. I made a mistake last time and said at rolling for change. It's just roll for change. Twitter will not take a longer Twitter handle than that.
2: And don't forget our guild on the on the board game geek website. That's right. Look we for the guild. one that actually has the we, I still haven't fixed it yet. So there's still a second one out there. Um, so look for the one that has our Symbol, which is our um, homage to um, Pink Floyd.
0: Yes, the the Rolling for Change uh, uh, logo that we created. So yeah, let check check in with us. Let us know what's going on. Also, join us on the Geek Therapy Network. We are a proud member of the Geek Therapy Network. We have a uh, Facebook group now for Geek Therapy fans. So you can go over there and talk to all of us and talk to any of us about the various Geek Therapy podcasts, including Psych Tech and the Geek Therapy Podcast, and Headshots, and and whatever else. Uh, We've got a pretty large growing community right now, so please come and join us. All right. That's it. Now, I'm going to hit stop here. You've been listening to Rolling for Change, episode number eight, a conversation with Ward Batty. If you'd like to email us our email address is gamers at rollingforchange.com. our twitter handle is at roll for change r-o-l-l-f-o-r-c-h-a-n-g-e and you can also find us over on the geek therapy network page on facebook we are a proud member of the geek therapy network and we'd love for you to come and have a talk with us once again you've been listening to rolling for change and we'd like to thank you for joining us keep on rolling for change see you next time